0: Listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit HarvestKelowna.ca. Daniel chapter 2. And today we come to this part in the book of Daniel where we see his three friends. They're in some serious, serious, serious trouble. Their lives are in danger. And what we're going to see here in this chapter uh, is, is basically the theme that we see reoccurring, especially through the first half, but through the entire book of Daniel and throughout his life. And get this, the awesome, we see the awesome, the awesome, the awesome faithfulness of God, who sovereignly protects, provides for those, and even promotes those whose hearts are loyal to His. The awesome faithfulness of God, who sovereignly protects and provides and even promotes those whose hearts are loyal to Him. The study of Daniel is so relevant for us today. I mean, just watch the news, you see what's going on, as well as even aspects that have uh, prophetic means to it that we're going to see here today in the book of Daniel. It is so relevant to what we are facing in our world today. And it's also from a time in, in world history that was also very difficult, very chaotic, very ugly, and very messy. And so this study in Daniel is so important. And what we end up seeing here is that the Most High, we see the Most High God, the one and only God exercising his sovereign control over every detail in Daniel's life, every detail in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, in all the kingdoms of the earth that are already established, that will be established. He establishes it all. He's in control. He's sovereign over all things. Where we left things off last week in Daniel chapter one is that Daniel and his three friends had finished their three years at the uh, three years at the University of Babylon and had been trained up to be the wise men. There were attempts, as we looked at last week, attempts to to uh, conform them, to brainwash them, to and, and, and through means of isolation, trying to change their identity, to indoctrinate them, to try to get them into the Babylonian culture, to get Babylon into them. And yet they stood firm, they stood and remained faithful to the one true God. And now here in chapter 2, we see Daniel, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego amongst the king's wise men here. They have been, as I said, they've already graduated and they are now labeled, they now have the name of the king's wise men. This morning, we're going to look at the text, first of all. And as I said, we're going to look at 49 verses of this. And first of all, we're going to basically do, get an understanding of the text. So we're going to spend a good chunk of time working through this text with just some, some, some kind of thoughts as well as just uh, minor application to this. But we're going to work through th- these 49 verses. And then second of all, we're going to come to the application and how this text applies to us today. Remember, remember God's Word just isn't some historical book that just portrays, you know, history from a Christian perspective. No, it is the mighty, powerful word of God. And it's not just for our information. God's word is for our transformation. And here we see in a very concise way, uh, just if you want to write this down, this is what we're going to be working through, but you might want to give yourself a little space. Here's kind of how, it's funny how many Bible scholars and authors that I looked at this past week kind of came up with a bunch of Ps to describe this chapter. First of all, there's a predicament. There's a predicament or there's a problem. But then we see there's a prayer. Then we see there's praise. And then we see the power of God. And so the first thing we see here, first of all, first and foremost, is the predicament. Verse one, in the second year, of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Now you might be wondering, okay, Melvin, you said they just went through three years of training, but it says here second year of his reign. Like, can, kind of what's going on here? Well, there's kind of a year of difference. And some of you may, any of you guys catch that? Anyone catch that? Okay, huh, okay, you're sleeping. Maybe I won't even explain it. But now that I've opened up, I'll explain it to you. Oftentimes, the first year in in ancient times, the first year of a king's reign was his year of ascension, kind of his his year of establishing his kingdom. So they didn't really count that. His first first year that they counted was really the second year. And so here we have, this is somewhere between the third and the fourth year of his actual reign as King Nebuchadnezzar, taking over from his father. And so here we have, uh, as it said, the second year of his reign. And so What is going on here in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar? He had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had dreams or a dream that was so gripping and so lively and so real that when you wake up, you're just gripped by it? Have you ever had that happen? hello, are you awake? Have you had that? Maybe you're sleeping now and you're having a dream, you're in church, wake up, you're in church, you know, and maybe, ah, that might freak you out a little bit, but, you know, and that's maybe a good thing, if it freaks you out just a little bit that you stay awake here in church. Anyways, we have these dreams, and, and I don't know about you, I've had dreams like this from time to time where where it's hard to sleep afterwards, Oftentimes, this happens to little kids, and they want to come, and they want to sleep with mom and dad, or, or you know, they're just afraid over what happened. I mean, this can happen to us as grown-ups, and it can affect you for a few minutes, it can you Affect you for a few hours. I've known of times where I've had dreams that it's affected me through the day, and it's like, oh, I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm sure we all can relate to that kind of thing. I think when I first started in ministry a good number of years now, I was in my early 20s, it was a requirement for pastors between your second and your third year, you would need to be working on your ordination requirements. And, and so that, that meant a lot of reading, some doctrinal pa- papers, as well as book reports. And finally, the last step was an oral examination before 10 to 12 pastors, college professors, and seminary professors. And it was usually held in a basement of a district office in Regina, Saskatchewan. And I'm telling you, I would oftentimes, when I started ministry and I knew what was coming, I got my, my, my envelope of ordination requirements and I saw that last part, a two-hour examination. Of, of, of looking at your testimony, but then also just, just quizzing you on Bible knowledge, on theology, you know, and, and, and practical application thereof in the areas of ministry. And I'm telling you, I would have dreams of me going down into that basement. I didn't even know what it looked like, but I could only imagine. And in reality, when it happened, it looked like what I imagined. And, 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 and I was going down there, and I remember them starting to drill some questions at me, and I just blanked out. And then I woke up, and I woke up in a cold sweat, and, and, that, and, and that dream actually, and that was a reoccurring dream that I would have from time to time. It actually caused me to study hard, and it was hard because I was dating Charlotte at the time, and she was a distraction, a good distraction, bad distraction, good distraction, bad distraction, and, and I remember just like, I've got to give myself, I've got to devote myself to this, so I'm ready for that examination. Thankfully, it went well. I passed. And um, I was able to continue on in ministry. Anyways, dreams like that sometimes can alarm you, it can scare you, sometimes it can propel you to kind of uh, wake up and, and, and to get busy in, in some areas in our lives. And, and Nebuchadnezzar was gripped by a dream that was greatly affecting him. Now, dreams in the ancient world were seen as very, very significant. That's why they had dream interpreters. All the kings would have this. And they were, because dreams in the ancient days were often viewed as prediction of future events and if indeed these dreams were about future events the king in having these dreams and getting them interpreted in understanding what is going on in in, in and through that dream could help them to prepare for whatever might be coming their way and so dreams were seen as very helpful and 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 so the king would have wise men wise men and enchanters and magicians who would listen to the dreams and then they would read the stars, they would go to their books, they had volumes or volumes of scrolls or, or, or tablets, that not common kind of tablets, but, but, but just uh, study resources, they would study the stars, and as I said even last week, here in Nebuchadnezzar's court, they would even have sheep livers that they would take, they would cut open, and based on the way that when they cut that liver open and the way that it fell apart, they would use that to help predict the future completely demonic uh, and, and carnival kind of trickery that is going on here, you know. And so the king, he's troubled, he has this dream, and so he calls for the wise men. And look at here in verse 2, it goes on. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. The Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. That's good for job security to say that. And and tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins." But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Could you imagine these wise men, these enchanters, these magicians hearing this? I mean, upon hearing this, I am sure their eyes just like bulged out and this big they had, you know, one of those big Adam apples, sometimes people have that, you know, you would have just seen it like, yeah, I mean, it would have just like, just stuck right out of their throat. It would have been so amazing to be able to, see because I mean, it's just like, okay, no, that's not how it works. King, you tell us the dream we will give you the interpretation. But he wanted to make sure they were legit. He wanted to make sure that they weren't just joking around, you know, and just giving him some mumbo jumbo kind of dream interpretation from some sheep liver or, you know, from some book that they had that he wanted to. And so he's like, no, tell me the dream. Tell me the dream. Come on. Tell me the dream. And next, and then tell me the interpretation. And, and, and you see this, you know, like, and if you don't, if, you, if you're not correct, if you're not right, if you don't do this, I'm going to tear you from limb to limb and I'm going to lay your houses to ruin. Now you think, oh man, I mean, come on, that's just an idle threat. No, this was King Nebuchadnezzar. There was no law on the land. His word was law. What he said, it happened. When he wanted it to happen, it would happen. He was the most powerful monarch king of the world. He really, literally could have been on, you know, the end of the ship and yelling out, I'm the king of the world, because he actually was, you know, And, and that's just who King Nebuchadnezzar was. He would stop at nothing. Years later, you see in Second Kings chapter 25, Nebuchadnezzar goes to his final raid in Jerusalem. He takes King Zedekiah, and he gouges out his eyes. But right before he does that, he has his sons slaughtered right in front of the king because he wanted King Zedekiah. To have in his mind, the last thing that his eyes would see would to see his own sons being slaughtered. This is how evil, this is how nasty, this is the kind of tyrant that King Nebuchadnezzar was. So when he told these wise men and enchanters, hey, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. If not, I'm going to rip you from limb to limb. He meant it. He would rip them from limb to limb. And so this was kind of the serious business that's taking place here. So this threat from limb to limb was, was definitely going to happen and uh, if they didn't tell him the dream. And seeing he's the only one that had the dream, he would be the only one to know if the dream that they're telling him that he had was correct. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll just show its interpretation. They just completely ignore him. They just... Whoop, over their heads, it's like, we don't want to go there. And so they're, they're trying to get him to, again, bite and tell him the dream. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dreams known to me, there is, one, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the, t- till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I will show... I, will, I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went and requested that the king to uh, requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the dream. So, so here we have the captain, the king's guard, Arioch, coming to kill Daniel. He's like, "I have orders to carry this out. Basically, your name is Daniel. Prepare to die. It's going to happen." And look what how Daniel responds with respect not in panic, and he says, hey, would there be an opportunity for me to go before the king? These guys find out they're going to die, and what do they do? They find out that the clock is ticking. Are they going to run for it, run for cover, head for the hills, try to escape? You know, do they still have time? Maybe they can take out some of the king's guards and knock them off, or at least, you know, punch them in the face and go running out and, and head for the hills, and maybe they can spare their own lives. What do they do? Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house, started packing all of his belongings. No, that's not what it says. That's maybe some other version. It says, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek the mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. So what's the first thing they do? They don't run, they don't cower, they don't give up, they don't, you know, get into the fetal position and start sucking their thumb and rocking back and forth thinking we're going to die. They don't go to social media and put it out there. They they don't get some online petition going or anything like that or some kind of tablet petition and, you know, here, sign this, you know, kind of, they don't get the wise men union enacted here. No, what do they do? They go to prayer. So there's a problem, but now we're seeing the prayer. We see first things first. What do they do? They pray. This is life and death. They need a miracle. They, and so what do they do? They don't turn to other resources. They don't turn to other people. They turn to God. They have a prayer meeting, and I'm sure that was quite the prayer meeting. Oh, God, we're going to die. Help. And then look at verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. God came through. He answered. And so what did Daniel do next? He's like, as soon as the dream got downloaded, you know, as soon as he had this vision and it all got downloaded, like, okay, I think I got it got all straight, okay. Did he go run into the king? You know, I've got it. I'm gonna go give the king an interpretation here. I'm gonna go tell him the dream. Let's go, let's run, let's go. No, what does he do? It says, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. We see the problem, we see the prayer, and then we see the praise. He wasn't in a big hurry. He was gonna spend some time praising God. And what a praise and worship time that must have been. King Nebuchadnezzar was mighty and powerful, but he doesn't compare to the might, to the power, to the king, to the God of this universe, who first and foremost, above all things, needs to be praised because he is so worthy. Look at verse 20. Daniel answered, and what a prayer this is. What a prayer of praise and worship Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what was asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. What a prayer of praise this is. This is God, you have done this. This is nothing I've done. This is all you. What a worship time this would have been. And let's face it. Even though the dream, he had this vision, he had the dream, and understanding of it, he had the interpretation, he still didn't know how it would go before the king. He didn't know what the king was going to say to him. The king might have said, okay, that's good. Prepare to die. You know, like we don't know the response of the king. I mean... And yet Daniel is no doubt confident in the word that the Lord had given to him, but there's no guarantee in how the king would react. I mean, this guy was known for being kind of a loose cannon. He might say, I don't like what that had to say. I didn't like that dream. I didn't like that interpretation. You're dead. He takes time, though, however. He's rejoicing. He's celebrating. He's rejoicing and celebrating praising over the sovereignty of God. It's God who controls the times and the seasons, the kings, the presidents, Even the prime minister of Canada, God controls all of that. No matter how things look, no matter how much you like it or you don't like it, he's in control. And so here we find Daniel worshiping and praising. And and through this, he's reaffirming, God, this is all you. This is not me. You've enabled me to have this ability and you've given me this information. And here we see where his heart and where his faith truly rests. Not in his power, his strength. It's all in the Lord's. You see, folks, we have to get this. This is so important. As he takes this time to praise and to give worship to God. Our praise and our worship of God is not related to what God has done for me lately. And so oftentimes it is. is, isn't it? We can worship when things are clicking. When he's answered a prayer. When he's given us what we've asked for. I mean the worship can flow out so easily at that point and as it should. But our praise and our worship and our trust in God because he is worthy, because he's in control is also for the times of struggle. At times when it's hard to believe, when it's hard to understand. You see this is the the vital area of surrender that we need in our lives. And we must get this. Job is an example of that in Job chapter 1 Everything is destroyed. Everything. He loses everything. And what does he say in verse 21? He says, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Forget him. Does he do that? No. Blessed be his name. I will choose to worship, I will choose to bless his name. And when we do that, In the midst of the confusion, in the loss, in the heartache, the uncertainty, in the midst of that, you be prepared to watch a joy and a power and a peace that will flow even though your circumstances may never change. And God will, in his way, in his time, bring the blessing. Again, it's another guarantee of God's word. We see this true in Daniel's life and it will be true in ours. Through praise, through his worship, he's reaffirming where his faith and his confidence rests. Those last two songs in worship this morning just, just destroyed me in a good way. Again, just realizing all that my Savior has done for me And how mighty and powerful and the things I can get worried and get confused and discouraged about or the insecurities that I have. All of these things in me, yes, Melvin Lutzer can be weak, but through my God, I am strong, powerful. Not Not my work, not my power, but his and so we praise, even when our hearts are breaking, even when our hearts are confused. We come together and we worship, and we worship our faces off before God because he is so worthy. Next we see here in the life of Daniel and his friends, we see the power of God at work. This is, this is incredible here. Verse 24, therefore Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Basically, he says, Ariok, I'm ready. Let's go. But notice, look at the heart of this guy. What does he do? He wants to ensure that no other wise men, enchanters, pagan, demonic, controlled Chaldeans, which they were, would die. He was concerned even for them, for for those that were godless. And you can probably guarantee that in their years of training, that Daniel and his friends were mocked and laughed and ridiculed for their Daniel diet of vegetables, refusing the king's steak and and, uh, wine. And yet his heart is for these lost individuals Those who have made life miserable are those who are godless. And in some ways, you might think, well, they deserve to die. But he's concerned. He doesn't want them to die. Verse 25, then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said, Thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. What a liar. You see that in there? What a liar Ariok is. He says, I found. He found nothing. Daniel came to him. He was going in to kill Daniel, and Daniel was the one that came and and spoke this to him. But isn't this human nature, how we want the glory? He's like, oh, king, look at what I did. Look at my accomplishments. Look at what I found. We want the glory. We want the recognition. We want people to think much of us. We want to insert our names wherever we can. We want the glory. Look at me. How many likes? How many followers? How many views? We're glory thieves. We want the glory. And when, the, when we start stealing the glory in this way, it's kind of like a never-ending thievery that ends up going on because it never satisfies. We just want more and more and more. And our approval and who we are doesn't come by the approval of man. It's not important what man thinks of us. It's what God knows about us. And yet he still loves us. And so here we see Ariok kind of wanting to insert himself a little bit. And, you know, thinking, boy, this is going to be some big fat promotion for me. Verse 26. We're going to see something pretty awesome in in, kind of... Oppose just in relationship to this in a moment. Verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanter, magicians, or astrologers can show you the king show you the king, the mystery that the king has asked for. But there is a God. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. You just totally see how Daniel just removes himself from the situation. Right away, he says, hey, there's a God. And he's even, he's even removed, he says, now I'm going to tell you, king, what God told me. No, he doesn't even do that. He says, this God is going to now tell you. He's removing himself. He, he's He's doing what John the Baptist said, that we must decrease and he must increase. Daniel's living this life of humility. And he's telling him, you guys couldn't do this. I can't even do this. But there's a God in heaven who is able. God's glory first. God's glory alone. This is what he's going for. This is what he's wanting to communicate to this pagan king. He goes on to say, end of verse 28, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. Now, again, stop there. This is just amazing. What's he doing here? Daniel starts out not just simply by telling him the dream and, the, and, and then finishing off with the interpretation. He's telling him what the king was actually thinking about before he went to sleep that night. I mean, I'm sure this is just blowing away the king as to what Daniel has to say here. And so he, he tells him what is the cause of this, and, and, and what was the cause of it? As we see, as you lay in bed, and, and you started to wonder what would come after this. The king goes to bed one night, and he's wondering what's the point of life? What's next after this? I'm the king of the world, I'm mighty, powerful, successful. And yet there's a franticness. There's a concern that he still hasn't found it. There's still something missing. He's coming to grips with his, in, his own immortality. There's an emptiness. There's a meaninglessness to his life. There's got to be more to this life. There's got to be more. And he, so he's saying, what's next? And folks, we even see that today. Now, we're talking in the word of God about King Nebuchadnezzar, but... I want to bring in someone into the forefront and who many of you would know in society, a guy by the name of Tom Brady. Tom Brady, either you love him or you hate him or you have no clue who he is. You're probably pretty much divided that way. He is a very successful quarterback for some team down in the United States, New England Patriots. Five Super Bowl rings, count them, five Super Bowl rings. He is set record after record He's married to a supermodel wife. Their net worth, and she's actually richer than him because of her modeling work, half a billion dollars is their net worth. And he will probably go down in history if he isn't there already. He will be labeled, listed as the GOAT. Any of you know what that means? That's actually a cool term now. It's, it's the, the greatest of all time is what it stands for. The GOAT, when it comes to quarterbacks, I mean, good-looking. Well, some find him maybe good-looking. I don't know. I think he's okay. You know, and he's got the rings. He's got the record. He has the family. He has the house. He has the cars. He's got the controversy. He's in the spotlight. He lost the last Super Bowl, and people were happy. But it was after his third Super Bowl win, and you can find this just by Googling it online. 60 Minutes was doing an interview with him, and... And, and they asked him, so, you know, after three Super Bowls, you're the epitome of success. And it's kind of the story of a guy who struggled all throughout and then all of a sudden has become so great. And, and they asked him, what's next? What's next? And his answer was kind of shocking. It was very hollow and very shallow. And he says, I don't know. He says, there's got to be more than this. He has it all. And yet, He's left longing and wondering, there's gotta be more. Folks, you can gain the world. You can get the stats. You can get the promotions. You can have it all. You can make a huge difference in the lives of people. And yet, if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, for our glory, or if we're doing it for just selfish ambition, we can gain the world and lose our souls. And we're still gonna come up empty. Meaningless, thinking there's got to be more. Only God can fill that void, and it comes out of a life of worship and a life of relationship with him. And so he tells him, first of all, King, this is what you were thinking before you went to bed that night. And then in verse 12, it goes on, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is known to be. Verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So here's the dream. Verse 31, he starts to give it. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. The image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you look, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Wow, what a dream. And so now he gives him the dream and he's, now he's going to give the interpretation. And I think this is just a great picture that you see here that found online of kind of the dream that he had of this, this great image. Verse 37, it says, You, O king, king of kings, to whom the God of heavens has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heavens, make you rule over them, and you are the head of gold. And so he's saying, Here you, O king, king of Babylon, you are the head of gold. But you must realize God has placed you in this position. You haven't gotten there, you think, by your own might, by your own brute, by your own brutality, but you are in this place because God has placed you there. Not exactly the greatest message you would give to an egomaniac kind of person who thinks that they are a self-made king. They've done it. They've done greater than their father, and they're just going to keep on going. And yet he gives them, gives him this interpretation Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. Oh yeah, inferior to me? How is that going to happen? This was the chest and arms of silver. This turned out to be the Medo-Persian empire that dominated for 208 years from 539 to 331 B.C. The two arms represent a divided kingdom because it was ruled by two empires, by two nations. So it was like a minority rule that was taking place there. And then he goes on and says, and then there was a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. This was the stomach and the thighs. This is the bronze empire. And this was the Grecian, the uh, Grecian um, empire from 331 BC to 146. This was the empire that Alex, Alexander the Great would conquer, the known world at the time, and then die at the age of 33. But this empire would last 185 years. History documents all of this to a T. It's amazing. From the Bronze Empire, it's even amazing how history is showing. History books show that the soldiers in battle would carry bronze shields and and bronze chest plates for protection. And this is hundreds of years before This prophecy is being made that this is the kind of empire it would be. Verse 40, and it says, And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. The legs of iron is the Roman Empire that would dominate from 146 B.C. all through the time of Christ and the early church to 395 A.D., roughly 500 years. This was the ruling empire that that ruled the world During a very crucial time of other Bible history in the New Testament, verse 41, it says, and as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And you saw the iron mixed with soft clay so that, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. So what he's talking about here, and this is a fascinating study that, I mean, feel free to dig into this here, even this next week. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, but we see here later and and we get a better picture of this in Daniel chapter seven, that the 10 toes represent 10 kingdoms or ten empires or ruling powers that will be in place at the end of the age. And we know that there will be these nations, but these nations will all come under one, under Antichrist. This is going to happen, folks. It's happened in past history. The things that we've already described and what is coming is yet to happen. These ten nations united all under one, one government, one currency. And it's a divided Divided nations. But, but there's this stone, it says in verse 34, from heaven that strikes this image at the feet and it comes crashing down. This stone ends up becoming a great mountain that fills the entire earth. Verse 44, and it says, and the days, and in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom and shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, O great God, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain. And its interpretation, sure. Jesus Christ is that stone. That stone cut from heaven. And this dream and this prophecy goes from the time of Nebuchadnezzar until the end of the age. When Christ comes to establish his universal and visible kingdom. And it will fill the entire earth. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Yes and his kingdom will fill this earth. It will be what we read in Revelation 11:15, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Daniel prophesied this 2500 years ago, and world history has revealed with stunning accuracy what Daniel has said to the king, what he said would happen would happen. There are many skeptics out there, people who don't believe in God and want to just ditch the Bible, who say the amount of accuracy, not just in this passage, but throughout the book of Daniel and how all of these things have played out in human history. It must have been written much later. Somebody took and wrote this in Daniel's pen and, 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 and in this era. Folks, God's word is trust. It's, it's shakingly trustworthy. God's word is completely reliable. Past, present, and what is yet to come in the future. Do you long for this kingdom? A kingdom that will go on and on and on and on forever. And I believe in all my heart that a true believer longs for this kind of kingdom. When we look at our world, when we look at the chaos, Another school shooting this past week. Political craziness in our nations. Racial divides. People taking and taking what is up and turning it into down, and what is down, they're turning it into up. Our world is so broken. We look at our nation. We look at our families. look at our own lives. Think of... The pain that some of you experienced this past week? Do you long for another kingdom? One that's gonna be forever and eternal? A life free from all of this? Do you long for that? This past week, my niece Courtney, who's 20 years old, who some of you have met, they've come to visit, they live in Abbotsford, she has a very rare skin disorder. She had a major surgery this week on one of her hands that has had some skin cancer in the past. As a result, during the surgery, she lost a lot of blood. The pain after that surgery this past week have been some of the most excruciating pain that this little girl has suffered, and she has suffered so much pain. She's 85 pounds, and yet the drugs that are needed to control, that take the edge off her pain... Doctors are reluctant to give because they said this would be the amount of drugs that she needs to control her pain. They say a 400-pound man couldn't even handle the kind of drugs that she's taking. I long for another kingdom for her. And for the hurt that some of you have walked through and have experienced in your life, there's freedom not just in the world to come, but even freedom now through Christ. There's power, there's strength, there's help that is available for you today and of the kingdom to come. I long for this kingdom. Listen, this is what God's word, it's, it's firm. I love the way, I just love the way he ended his, his interpretation here. Oh. As he says to the king, he says, this dream is certain, its interpretation it's clear. Folks, God's word is certain, and its interpretation is clear. Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God himself will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's coming. God's word is certain, and it's true. And just as all these other kingdoms have risen to power and have fallen, God's kingdom will rise and will never be defeated. But his kingdom isn't for everyone. It isn't. This kingdom is not a universal reality. If I can get another Kleenex, whoever gave me some earlier, I could use a few more. This kingdom is for those who have confessed their sins before God, who have embraced Jesus Christ. Thank you. Who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith, as their only hope for salvation. He is the only hope for success in this life, in this world. He is this only hope for peace, for joy. He is the only hope for eternal life. Do you know Jesus Christ in this way? Have you made him your Lord and your Savior? Have you turned your heart over to him? If so, this kingdom is then for you. It is a coming reality in your life, but this is something we need to be ready for. We need to prepare others for as well. His kingdom is coming, be prepared. And look at the response of the king, verse 46. We're getting near to the end. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and Lord, lo, and lords of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Verse 48. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon in chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel, what a guy. He remembered his friends. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, and Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel and his friends, we see as a result of all of this, we see they're promoted. There's a promotion that took place. Would it be easy for them with this promotion? Oh, no. With great power comes even a greater sense of danger, as well as responsibility that we see an opportunity to live for God, we'll see that in the coming chapters. So what's the application of all of this? That's the understanding and soon we will be done here as we work through the application quickly. Folks, this just isn't another great story of the Bible. But there is deep significance for us right here, right now, how we can take and we can apply these truths to our lives today. First of all, first and foremost, we need to realize this. God's word is trustworthy. It's certain, it is true, it is reliable. What God says, he means. What God says will happen, will happen. And so we trust and we cling to his word. But second of all, we also cling to the sovereignty of God, his control over all world affairs and even our own personal world affairs. And so in the midst of the hurt and the confusion and the loss, we worship, we praise him as the sovereign, as the one who is in all things. Like we stated at the start of this message, the awesome faithfulness of God, who sovereignly protects and provides for those whose hearts are loyal to him. When our hearts are loyal and our hearts are surrendered to him, He protects, he provides, he'll even promote. And today we look at our world, we can look at our lives and we can see nothing but problems. You see problems, are there problems in your home, in your family, in your finances, in our city, in our nation? It comes by email, comes by looking at the news. Your world gets rocked by a phone call, a doctor's report the sudden loss of a loved one, the end of a dream, the end of a marriage. Or maybe for you, the problem, the predicament, what you're facing even right now is a loneliness or a pain or a discouragement. And you're trying to press on. You're trying to do the best that you can. You're trying, you're trying, you're giving it that full shovel. You're giving it all that you can. You're trying to trust God. So what do we do next? We pray. First things first, we pray. For Daniel... And we see prayer was a life and death experience for him, wasn't it? He's facing death. He's facing impossible opportunities. What does he do? He prays. For Daniel and for his friends, prayer wasn't the last resort. It was the first thing. And God's word pushes us and pushes us and commands us. Be people of prayer, seeking God. God changes world affairs. God changes things. Prayer changes us, God. And and prayer changes others, and situations. And so we pray individually like Daniel, but also in community like Daniel with others. He had his go-to people in prayer. Who are your go-to people in prayer? Who do you have right now? If If the world fell apart on you, who would you be calling? Who would you be notifying who and, and not just you know just oh yeah okay I'll pray for you but who do you know you can phone up you can go and you can have coffee with and right now right there they're going to stop they're going to pray for you we had one of our men come into the church this morning and instead of coming to church his wife is taking him to the hospital because uh, he has some pain in his body and one of the sweetest things is he, he was telling me that he said and one of my brothers is already surrounding me in prayer It's like, we pray First things first, we pray. Who's your go-to people in prayer? That's why we have small groups. That's why we have group time for people to get together, for men to pray with men, women to pray. Who do you have in your life that when the stuff is happening in your life, that it's not just you going to the prayer closet and praying on your own, but you have others that are, are, are available to pray for you and with you. Who are you available to, to be able to go to and pray for and with? This is biblical community. This is what we're called to be, not just show up on a Sunday and then just go out and live our lives on our own solo effort. We need one another. We need biblical community in this way. And Daniel had this pray, first things first we pray. Wednesday night, prayer night. As a church, as individuals, if we're just muscling through our activities and stuff in our own power and our strength, it is just going to be our own power and strength. Do we want to invite the mighty, supernatural power of God into our lives, into our church? If so, we pray. And we pray like Daniel prayed with praise and thanksgiving for God's sovereignty, for God's control. We present our problems to him, and we allow God's power to get working. Wednesday, 645 at the church office, the church gathers to pray. These are the most vital, important nights in the life of the church. It's the most important, vital part of our small group ministries. Of anything, I saw even a group of ladies this morning out praying just moments before the service. Why? Because probably someone is facing something, and first things first, we pray. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a church of prayer. Let's be families of prayer. Small groups that pray. Businesses the other believers who pray. First things first, we pray. Oh, we can muscle through, but we're going to tire out on our own power and our strength. Let's muscle through it with God's power and strength. That's an endless supply. First things first, we pray. And it's with prayer, with thanksgiving, with praise in our hearts. Here's where Daniel, he rests, trusts, submits it all to God, to his providential control. And then we end up seeing in our own lives, in our own situation, God's power to either just strengthen us to endure what is yet to come or God's hand of deliverance. And even in the end, there's a promotion, God's blessing. God answers at times in miraculous, incredible ways. Other times... That promotion, it's heaven. That's the ultimate promotion. Let's pray together. And Lord, even right now, we bow before you as a sovereign king, ruler of the universe, God of very gods. And I pray that even now that we would, through surrender in our own lives, through surrendering the situations that we're facing, that were hounding us when we walked in this worship theater here this morning, the things that have been keeping us up at night, the longings in our heart that we have. First and foremost, would we seek you, would we find you, would we find our hope, our help, our identity in you and you alone. Thank you for blessing us with a community of believers who desire this, in own lives, would this become a growing reality in our own church? And God, would you just do your work and your way as we commit to trusting and following you and being these people, take our problem to you in prayer, filled with praise, and just wait for your power, for your blessing, for your direction, because you are more than enough. And we thank you for this. Would we follow you wholeheartedly this day?